report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. A messy mix of wintry weather could cause some slick roads tonight in parts of western and central New York. Those of you who call the snow belts home, you could see some wet and white. Fox News meteorologist Janice Dean. That's not great on the roads, on the power lines, so that's not going to be a good situation, especially if you're driving. Late and freezing rain may create travel trouble through Thursday morning. The bulk of the bad weather will be concentrated in New York's North Country. The results are in from Election Day 2023, and it was not a good night for Republicans or pro-lifers. By a 56 to 43 percent margin, Ohio voters approved Issue 1, which enshrines abortion rights into law in the state constitution. I was crying tears of complete joy and shock. That Planned Parenthood worker pleased with the outcome, but this pro-lifer in Cleveland, not a fan of Issue 1. I believe in life. It's the most helpless human being there is, and there's no defense. And it bothers me. Ohio becomes the seventh state since the overturn of Roe to enshrine abortion rights into law. The Buckeye State also voted last night to legalize recreational marijuana. In other races last night, incumbent governors in Kentucky and Mississippi both won re-election, and Democrats took control of both houses of the Virginia State Legislature. Obviously, this wasn't what we'd hoped for in Virginia for Republicans. Former Virginia congressional candidate Tina Ramirez. I think that Republicans would have done much better in Virginia if they had focused on the kitchen table issues. The Democrats' clean sweep means Governor Glenn Youngkin's proposed 15-week abortion ban will not happen in Old Dominion. Abortion is the issue. It wins. And I think you're going to see Democrats scramble starting today to try to get abortion on the ballot in as many states as possible because that's really driving voters out. So this bodes extremely well for Democrats, a real morale booster heading into 2024. Democratic strategist and former New York State Senator David Carlucci. Five Republican presidential candidates will duke it out on stage tonight in Miami. It's their third debate, and for the third time, frontrunner Donald Trump will not be there. Those who will include Ron DeSantis, Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Tim Scott. The two-hour debate starts at 8 on NBC. Now to the war raging in the Middle East. Gazans are on the move in the Palestinian-controlled territory, hoping against hope they don't become the latest casualties in the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas. Charlie Daggett has the latest from Gaza City. On the highway south of the city, our colleague Marwan Al Ghul spoke with some of those fleeing the fighting. Walking for hours to cross from Gaza north to the south, carrying nothing except a white flag of surrender and the will to survive. Israeli ground troops have entered the heart of Gaza and have trapped the most senior leaders of Hamas in underground bunkers. Reporter Trey Yink says the military operation is being conducted against the backdrop of an ongoing hostile 
hostage crisis in the Holy Land. There are a lot of high-level talks taking place behind the scenes to get 240 hostages out of Gaza, but the Israelis have been very clear. They are bringing the fight back to Hamas inside the Strip, and so they're unwilling to have any sort of long-term pause in the fighting or a formal ceasefire with Hamas. The Israelis say this would just give the organization the ability to reorganize after a month of war. Meantime, the Pentagon says U.S. military bases in Iraq and Syria have been attacked no fewer than 40 times since the war started on October 7th. On Capitol Hill, the U.S. House has voted to censure Michigan Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib for her anti-Israeli rhetoric. The progressive Democrat fought back tears right before the vote. Palestinian people are not disposable. We are human beings. Just like anyone else. The Palestinian American's been an outspoken critic of Israel as the Jewish state fights for its survival. Here's correspondent Nicole Killian. In a recent social media post, she invoked the phrase from the river to the sea, which critics say is a veiled reference to the eradication of Israel. The river is the Jordan River, and the sea is the Mediterranean. This is a call for the complete destruction of Israel. While Tlaib called it an aspirational call for freedom, it drew condemnation from both sides of the aisle. 22 Democrats supported the censure vote. On the stand in Manhattan, Ivanka Trump testifying today at her father's $250 million civil fraud trial. Trump's charged with inflating his real estate assets to secure favorable bank loans. The eldest daughter daughter of the ex-president is the third of the Trump children to appear on the witness stand. It's the last day at the zoo, the Smithsonian National Zoo, in our nation's capital for those three huggable and lovable giant pandas. Fans of the pandas, sad to see them go. I used to drive here with my friends and come see the pandas in the zoo. I'm sad to see them go. Tell me where y'all will be because I want to see them. If you want to see them now, now you'll have to go to China, from whence the pandas came more than 50 years ago. A hat worn by a famous French figure is about to go on sale. Napoleon Bonaparte's getting a lot of attention this month. What is this costume you have on? This is my uniform. Joaquin Phoenix will play the French military commander turned emperor in a new movie that's out November 22nd. But just a few days before that, a hat the French leader actually wore hits the auction block in Paris. The black felt hat comes with a cockade, a little rosette of ribbons Napoleon fastened to it back in 1815. It's expected to fetch more than $850,000. The nightshirt he wore on his final exile and a copy of his last written will also go on sale. Monica Ricks reporting still to come on the Noon Report. Election night recap. Gearing up for the turkey trot and going green to honor vets. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams. A chilly day is underway and a little precipitation is ahead come tonight as a disturbance approaches from the midwest i'll have the forecast details coming up in 10 all right kevin see you then incumbents cruised to victory last night in countywide elections across upstate new york the executives of erie monroe and onondaga counties all won re-election for erie county's mark poland cars it's his fourth term as county executive thank you to all who believed in our message of moving erie county forward we've been sent back to continue the 
job. In Monroe County, Adam Bellow becomes the first Democrat in county history to be reelected county executive. I don't view the job of the county executive as an overly partisan position. It's really about rolling up your sleeves and getting a job done. The one big upset last night was the mayor's race in Jamestown, New York. Incumbent Democrat Eddie Sunquist was defeated by Republican challenger Kim Eklund. Two statewide ballot proposals in New York, including one that lets small city schools borrow more money, both passed easily. Robert Guadarrama with Spectrum News. This is going to impact 57 school districts across the state and will really be used for projects that involve improving technology, improving security, as well as making repairs to facilities on school campuses. Meantime, in Pennsylvania, the big race last night that opened seat on the state Supreme Court. Democrat Dan McCaffrey won it easily, defeating Republican Carolyn Carluccio by a 53 to 47 percent margin. Dennis Owens with ABC 27. The race was noteworthy for its spending and its tone. The campaign for this seat, all in, will approach a record $25 million, most of it from third party groups and most of it funding deeply personal attack ads that many argue are beneath the high court. McCaffrey's win gives Democrats a 5-2 majority on the high court with important cases pending, having to do with abortion rights, election law, and climate change. Elsewhere in Pennsylvania, the state's largest city voted last night to elect its first ever female mayor. I'm Philly born, I'm Philly bred, and I'll be a Philadelphian till I'm dead. I love you, Philly. We're going to do this together. Sherelle Parker becomes Philadelphia's 100th mayor when she takes over for the term-limited Jim Kenney in January. For more insights and analysis on the vote last night, we turn to Dr. Steve Coleman, a political pundit in the Southern Tier. A lot of Republicans are licking their wounds today, saying, here we go again. This happened in 2022, and it happened again. Virginia goes Democrat. Uh, the governor's race in Kentucky that a lot of folks thought would be a lot closer wasn't even close. And in Ohio, abortion is on the ballot, and you better believe it has got Democrats revved up uh, going into next year's election. How do you read the tea leaves here as you take stock, Steve, of what happened last night and what it portends for 2024? Well, there's a a warning light on the uh, Republican dashboard that they better address satisfactorily the issue of uh, abortion. That's a, a big deal, I think, to American voters. Yeah. I heard one analyst, David Carlucci, former New York State Senator, say this morning, if you're a Republican and you're talking about abortion right now, you're talking about the wrong things. You should be talking about kitchen table issues like the economy, like inflation, like the border, because the abortion issue is, no matter where you stand on that issue, Steve, is not a winning issue for Republicans right now. No, it is not. And I think, uh, yes, uh, politicians, Republicans should be talking about bread and butter issues. But of course, to a lot of Americans, abortion is a bread and butter issue. What could be more bread and butter than, than, than life? That is political pundit Dr. Steve Coleman speaking to Family Life earlier today. Walmart is expanding its sensory-friendly hours at all stores nationwide, including those in New York and Pennsylvania. It's to benefit those with autism, ADHD, and PTSD. This woman says it'll be a huge benefit for her son 
on. I think it's great because they're setting aside time for that for somebody. And I just think it's a beautiful thing. Starting Friday, Walmart will dim the lights and turn off the music every day for two hours from 8 a.m. until 10 a.m. Electric school buses will be mandatory in New York starting in the year 2035. But Family Life's Jeremy Miller says districts may not be able to afford the upgrade. The mandate requires schools to only purchase electric buses by 2027 and have an all-electric fleet by 2035. But each bus and charger costs around $500,000. Funding will likely come from capital projects, which require voter approval, and districts don't even know if the buses are capable of running their routes. Environmentalists say electric buses would be healthier for kids, but critics point to numerous incidents of electric buses bursting into flames. Jeremy Miller, Family Life News. The Corning Museum of Glass is offering free glass-making experiences for all veterans and active-duty military personnel this Veterans Day weekend. It's a way for us to give back, so we we welcome our veterans in, and we just it's our way of saying thank you for, for everything that you've done for our community and for our country. CMOG spokeswoman Kaylee Snodgrass. We let our veterans tell us what do you want to make? So oftentimes we will get things that we don't offer very often. So we'll get um, some requests to make vases or bowls or cups. Um, we do get uh, the standard ornaments and pumpkins, you know, the old old reliables there. Veterans Day this year is Saturday, but the federal holiday will be observed on Friday, which means banks, post offices, and government buildings will be closed that day. All vets, by the way, can get into the CMOG, the Corning Museum of Glass, free of charge for the entire month of November. And entry costs for a Thanksgiving Day tradition in downtown Buffalo start going up this weekend. Registration fees for the 128th annual YMCA Turkey Trot will increase on November 11th. The current fee of $42 will increase to $47 until the race sells out. The entry fee includes all processing fees and a commemorative t-shirt. The race will hit capacity with 14,000 participants. The turkey trot begins at 9 o'clock on Thanksgiving morning on Delaware Avenue at Tacoma Avenue in North Buffalo and finishes near the Buffalo Niagara Convention Center on Franklin Street. The 8K trot is known to be the oldest consecutively run foot race in the world. D. Haley, Family Life News. Very interesting, D. and I know for a fact that you've run that race a time or two yourself. Well, time for us to trot on over to the sports desk next. Next on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, it only took 90 seconds of overtime before Martin Neches scored to send the home crowd home happy. The Carolina Hurricanes beat Buffalo 3-2 last night to win their fifth in their last six. The Canes 5-0 this season when the game goes beyond regulation. And since last December, they are 10-0 in overtime games. That is the second longest streak in NHL history. Alex Tuck and Rasmus Dahlin scored for the Sabres. The Rangers scored four times in the second period and beat Detroit 5-3. Vincent Trocek lit the lamp twice, once in the second. And Chris Kreider, Artemi Panarin, and Will Cooley all found the back of the net in the second period as well. New York leads the Metropolitan Division now with 19 points. Out West, Sid the Kid scored his sixth goal of the season as Pittsburgh shut out the Ducks 2-0. Crosby scored in the closing minute to ice the game for the Pens. 
Radim Zahorna scored midway through the first period. Pittsburgh now 5-6 on the season. In New York, the Wild came from behind to double up the Islanders 4-2. New York led 2-1 in the second before Minnesota tied it at the end of the period. Then they scored twice in the third to win it, as we said, 4-2. The loss drops the Isles to 5-3-3 on the season. And the Flyers became the first victims of the Sharks this season. San Jose snapped an 11-game losing streak. Tied for the most ever to start the season, 2-1 over Philadelphia. Elsewhere, Tampa Bay beat Montreal 5-3. The Jets over the Blues 5-2. Calgary doubled up Nashville 4-2 in a shootout. The Coyotes edged Seattle 4-3. The Devils lost to Colorado 6-3. That is a look at sports. All right, Randy, man, thank you very much. And still to come on the Noon Report, a midweek edition debate night in Miami. Abortion drives the vote and White House warning to Israel. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Just War Theory is one of the most significant contributions of Christianity to the wider world. And on a recent episode of Breakpoint this week, Dr. Eric Patterson, president of the Religious Freedom Institute and a political scientist who's done extensive work on Just War Theory, joined me to discuss how the Just War tradition can help us think through the current atrocities of Hamas and the retaliation by Israel. In fact, Dr. Patterson's new book, entitled A Basic Guide to the Just War Tradition, is the best primer on just war theory available. In our conversation, Dr. Patterson argued that governments have a God-given obligation to defend the innocent. Here's how he put it. There's a whole superstructure in the Bible on certain principles. One is governance. God created the family as a unit of governance. He created the church as a unit of governance within its sphere. And we know in the Old and the New Testament, such as in Romans 13, there's a principle of government authority to protect and defend. The Bible has a lot to say about vocations, including those called the security and foreign policy vocations. Nehemiah, Joseph in the New Testament, centurions and others. And so there's never a teaching in the Bible that Christians, that believers are supposed to step outside of those public service vocations to protect and defend. Still, some Christians who take seriously Jesus' command to love their enemies have a hard time seeing just how that should play out when it comes to going to war. Ultimately, it is the command to love our neighbors that should ground the Christian responsibility of both individuals and governments to oppose evil through the proper channels of authority. And the love of our enemies, which Christ also commanded, should inform how we oppose evil. Inasmuch, Dr. Patterson argues, intentions matter. I think that what the just war tradition helps us with is point looking at Israeli politics, looking at leaders and things and asking the question, is the reason you're doing this is out of love of neighbor, love of country, or have you strayed over this line where you are full of hate and what you really want to do is out of a, out of wrath, out of hatred, out of bitterness. Whenever we dehumanize the enemy, Dr. Patterson argues, the war will devolve away from justice. Of course, Hamas has never seen Jews as fully human. Israel, on the other hand, has placed itself under the obligations of international law, which has been shaped by the Christian just war tradition. They've committed to be proportional in the response, though that's not measured mathematically. They've committed to treat prisoners humanely and to wage war with a view towards establishing peace in the end. These commitments impose a heavy burden on those who fight, and they stand in direct contrast to Hamas, to Boko Haram, to ISIS, and the Taliban. Their way of waging terror and warfare come, in the words of Philos Project founder Robert Nicholson, from drinking from a different ideological well, that of radical Islam. Here's how Dr. Patterson described that. 
The reason that we've had a half dozen coups in West Africa in the past three years is because governments there, and often friendly Christians and Muslims working together, are so dispirited that they that the West and Western-supported governments have not been able to stop the black flag of Islamic State in West Africa. We see this with the Taliban and others. I think we have a lot of examples of this type of ruthless, violent Islamism that justifies violence against its neighbors. That's why everyone, including Muslims themselves, suffer at the hands of radical Islamic ideology. Because ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have victims. Christians, however, have a different view of people, our friends and our enemies. We believe in justice and in peace. Most importantly, we believe in the Prince of Peace. May his judgment come quickly and may Christians bear faithful witness until then. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Thank you, John. Let's take it outside. Mr. Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast. It'll stay chilly this afternoon. It'll end up cloudy, and there'll be a little rain with a touch of sleet arriving in areas near Lake Erie before the afternoon is through. High temperatures generally upper 30s to the upper 40s. Tonight, some rain mainly early and a little wintry mix for some. Temperatures will be rising overnight through the 30s as it turns breezy for some. Breezy, mild to tomorrow. A couple of morning showers. Temperatures climb into the 50s then drop back in the afternoon through the 40s for some by the end of the day. All right, pretty complicated forecast there. Thank you, Kevin. Anyway, this is the Noon Report. I'm Bob Price. Here's what's going on. November 8th, the day after the vote. The polls are closed. The results are in, and Democrats scored big wins in last night's off-year election. Well, that didn't turn out exactly how I wanted it to. Abortion supporters scored a big win at the ballot box in the Buckeye State. Ohio voters approving a measure that makes abortion a constitutional right, and that means abortion will be legal in Ohio through all nine months of pregnancy. Lauren Blovelt with Planned Parenthood. Abortion access is the law of the land in Ohio. On the other side of the abortion debate is right-to-life activist Randy Shugard. Ohio families, women, and children will bear the brunt of the vote. Ohio also voting to permit pot for recreational purposes in Virginia. Democrats swept the House and the Senate, handing Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin a huge defeat. Incumbent governors won re-election in the states of Kentucky and Mississippi. Thank you, Mississippi! Tate Reeves won a second term as governor, beating Democrat Brandon Presley, the cousin of a famous Mississippian, Elvis. And in Philadelphia, history was made. Democrat Sherelle Parker becoming the first female mayor in the city of brotherly Love. Peter Alexander reporting five Republican presidential candidates will take to the stage tonight in Miami for the third GOP debate. Vaughn Hilliard has more from the Sunshine State. For these Republicans, this is their moment to distinguish themselves as being the Trump alternative candidates. We're just two months away now from the Iowa caucus on January 15th. Ron DeSantis, Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy and Tim Scott will debate the issues for two hours starting at 8 on NBC. The Biden administration is laying out conditions for both Jews and Arabs as the war between Israel and Hamas enters a second month. Secretary of State Blinken says he'd like both sides of the conflict to abide by the following rules. No forcible displacement of Palestinians uh, from Gaza. Not now, not after the war. No use of Gaza as a platform for terrorism. 
or other violent attacks. No reoccupation of Gaza after the conflict ends. Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu says the occupation of Gaza will last as long as it takes for an alternative governing authority to rule that strip of land in the Holy Land. He says it will not be Hamas. For just the 26th time in the history of Congress, lawmakers have voted to censure one of their own. Michigan Democrat Rashida Tlaib rebuked yesterday for her inflammatory rhetoric about the state of Israel. The Palestinian American was unapologetic on the House floor. Folks forget I'm from the city of Detroit, the most beautiful blackest city in the country where I learned to speak truth to power even if my voice shakes. Trying to bully or censor me won't work because this movement for a ceasefire is much bigger than one person. 22 Democrats joined Republicans in condemning the Congresswoman. Reporter Griff Jenkins. Her fellow Democrat Brad Schneider saying this, quote, Tlaib has repeatedly insisted on using inflammatory language that dangerously amplifies Hamas propaganda and disinformation. Tlaib refused to correct her erroneous assertion that Israeli missiles struck a Gazan hospital in the early days of the war. And three giant pandas at the National Zoo in our nation's capital are headed back to China. In 1972, then First Lady Pat Nixon welcomed the pandas. Here at the National Zoo... They will be enjoyed by the millions of people who come from across the country to visit the nation's capital each year. And they were for generations. But today marks the end of more than five decades of pandas calling the Washington, D.C. Zoo their home. Zoo Atlanta will now be the only zoo in the country to feature Chinese pandas, and they may be gone soon, too. Atlanta's contracts for their four bears is up next year, and there hasn't been any word about an extension. China first gave the two giant pandas to the U.S. as a symbol of diplomacy after President Nixon visited that country. I'm Michael Kastner. Thank you, Michael. You're listening to The Noon Report, a Wednesday edition on Family Life. It's another edition of Real Answers, which comes your way Wednesdays during the Noon Report as we tackle the tough issues facing Christian families. Our guest is licensed mental health counselor Christopher Anderson, and today we're talking about the daily grind, how to get through, especially if you're in a difficult job or a hard career. Definitely, Greg. According to some research that's been done by the Pew Research Center, 51% of people report a high level of satisfaction with their jobs overall. So this means roughly then 49% of workers are either just satisfied or to some degree unsatisfied with their jobs. And you know we're going to focus in on that 49% of folks right now and offer ways of raising your job satisfaction with your career. What are some of the elements that were taken into consideration with this research that you're quoting? Well, it's a very interesting survey, and you can easily find it yourself by doing an internet search for job satisfaction statistics. They looked at relationship with coworkers, relationship with immediate management or supervisors, uh, commute time, day-to-day tasks at work, amount of feedback received from employers, benefits provided by the employer, uh, and opportunities for training, developing skills, uh, and of course, salaries. These are all the things that they looked for in doing this research. The two categories that were the highest in this survey were relationship with coworkers and relationship with management and immediate supervisors reporting high levels of satisfaction. So that highlights a need for good connections, feeling connected at work. 
It does. It really does. And, you know, Greg, relationship is such a huge indicator um, that it can often very effectively bring a person's job satisfaction to a higher level. Having a good relationship with coworkers is very important, but there's a few things I think that you need to be aware of. The first one is gossip. Do what you can do to avoid it. If you're listening to gossip, even though you're not necessarily passing it along, you are still contributing and encouraging others to gossip just by listening. So excuse yourself, if possible, from gossip conversations and don't worry about what others will think of you if you do. Number two, avoid stealing time from your employer by, for example, taking longer breaks than you're allotted or coming in chronically late or making excuses to leave early. You know, this is especially true for salaried employees who aren't necessarily as closely monitored with a punch card or other ways of tracking the work hours. Number three, be very mindful about how you engage with coworkers outside of the workplace. This is something you really have to kind of take into consideration because you may or you may not want to socialize outside of work. With this one, there is, like I said, some variability as some people want to keep work and personal life very separate. However, if your employer offers office get-togethers or other sanctioned events, I think it's important to attend them to build that rapport you know, with your relationships with your coworkers as well as management. But again, the amount of casual socializing that you do on your own with coworkers when you're off the clock is, is really up to you. But just remember, avoid that gossip, be respectful, don't talk badly about your employer. Those are great ways to encourage good work relationships with coworkers, with management. If you are the manager, that's important as well. What other advice can you offer to help with doing the actual work, carrying out the tasks that feel like a daily grind and sometimes feel very tedious? I've worked in a variety of settings. Uh, my career history is kind of really all over the place, despite deriving a very high level of satisfaction from these jobs over some tasks that were just very difficult. You know, one thing that you can do to help with the tedious tasks and the, and the tedious parts of your job is just look at them as if you're being they're being assigned by God. You know, Colossians 3.23 says to do your work as if you're doing it unto the Lord, not men, and therefore working at it with your whole being, you know, your whole heart. In your attitude, turn the difficult tasks into acts of worship. You know, and definitely pray, pray and ask God to help you do that. The way you approach those difficult tasks will start to change. You know, another thing also, Greg, is to schedule in various activities through the week that you can look forward to. Like, for example, my wife and I, we go to a small group, like a church home group on Wednesdays. It's really, it's right in the middle of the week. It breaks up the work week nicely, gives us something to look forward to as well. Advice from licensed mental health counselor, Christopher Anderson, on Real Answers, one of our Wednesday Family Life news features, as we tackle the tough topics that Christians face. I'm Greg Gillespie, Family Life News. All right, Greg, thank you for that. If you missed any of today's Real Answers, fear not, because you can download it online anytime time at familylife.org. Good afternoon to all. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. We're keeping our eyes on a disturbance heading eastbound from Iowa. It's going to bring some precipitation to the region tonight, primarily light rain at times, but there could be a little wintry mix at the start, uh, given the chill that'll be then scoured out by southerly breezes. That'll mean some milder weather coming in later tonight and tomorrow. But it'll stay chilly this afternoon. It'll end up cloudy where it is not already so. And there'll be a little rain with a touch of sleet arriving in areas near Lake Erie before the afternoon is through. High temperatures generally upper 30s to the upper 40s. Tonight, some rain mainly early and a little wintry mix for some. 
Temperatures will be rising overnight through the 30s as it turns breezy for some. It'll be breezy, mild to tomorrow, a couple of morning showers. Temperatures climb into the 50s, then drop back in the afternoon through the 40s for some by the end of the day. Up and down we go. All right. Thank you, Kevin. Finally at noon today, it's a day to celebrate that daily grind, says Family Life's Brian Query. Espresso, steamed milk, and foam. Who knew these simple components would make something so delicious, which we celebrate today as it's National Cappuccino Day. The earliest cappuccino-type drinks began to pour into the coffee houses of Austria during the 18th century, made of coffee, cream, and sugar, and later on were made with a variety of different spices. The name of these drinks comes from the brown color, matching the color of the robes worn by the Capuchin friars in Vienna. But the cappuccino drink we know today was invented in Italy, following the invention of the espresso machine right around the turn of the 20th century. So help yourself stay grounded by either making yourself a nice cup of cappuccino at home, or by supporting your local coffee shop and ordering one from them. Either way, a good cappuccino is something almost everyone loves, a latte. Brian Query, Family Life News. Alright, he's not lying. Thank you, Brian. That's the world we live in. Wednesday, the 8th of November. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.